Hello, and welcome to the Body and Food Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Preston, trauma-informed mental health social worker, psychotherapist, and nutritionist. I'm the creator of the Body and Food Freedom Project, a women's group focused on helping women make peace with food and their bodies. I know firsthand how dieting, food restriction, and body shame can steal our joy and have us playing small in our own lives. But I also know the freedom and liberation that comes with breaking free from diet culture, making peace with food, and learning to respect our bodies. Follow along as I speak with you and my guests about concepts including shame, self-compassion, intuitive eating, body image healing, and all things trauma, mental health, and therapy. I'm so happy to have you here. Grab a cup of tea and your headphones and let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode two of the Body and Food Freedom podcast. I'm your host Vanessa Preston and I feel honored if you are back for episode two and listening. So thanks for being with me. Um, I realize the first episode, I said I would tell you about my group program and I did not do that. So I will definitely tell you at the end of today's episode. So if you're interested in that, um, listen towards the end. Um, it's been a really busy week for me. Um, I've sort of been recording episodes and uh, running my program and seeing clients and yeah, it's just been a bit of a busy week. Um, how has your week been? I thought I would just check in with you and get you to check in with your body. So just notice if you're holding tension in your shoulders and release. I know that's where I tend to hold uh, tension. Check in with your jaw and see if you're squeezing there and gently release that. And then just take a really deep breath so you can sort of fully be present with me. Um, At the time of recording this, uh, so where I am in Melbourne, uh, Victoria, the COVID restrictions have increased again. Um, I know it's like that around the world, sort of restrictions increasing and lifting and increasing again. So it's definitely been interesting dealing with this pandemic. I, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Kentucky originally. And so I really have been homesick lately. I haven't seen my family for, I think it's been about two and a half years. Um, So if you're listening and you are missing a family member who you can't see because of this pandemic, my heart is absolutely with you. Um, So... Without further ado, let's jump into today's topic. Um, I thought today we could talk about diet culture. So if you've done any personal work in the area of intuitive eating or body image, you've likely heard the term diet culture. But what does this actually mean? So according to Christy Harrison, author of Anti-Diet, diet culture is a set of beliefs that worships thinness and equates thinness with health and moral virtue. The diet industry itself is a multi-billion dollar industry that teaches us there's one idea of beauty, 
which is usually thin and white. That thinness is a required part of being healthy. That our worth is derived from our body size and appearance. That the answer to our health and happiness is only one fad diet away. It glorifies weight loss at all costs. It classifies food as good and bad, and it stigmatizes fat people. And when I ask women what comes to their mind when I say the word diet culture, their responses usually include something like the following. All the diets out there and the confusion around what's best for us. Keto, paleo, Weight Watchers, the South Beach Diet, the Atkins Diet, juice cleanses, detoxes promoted by influencers with no sort of qualification, flat tummy tea promoted by celebrities, gyms advertising phrases like shrink those thighs or get your pre-baby body back. Labels on food products in the shops using phrases such as guilt-free. Standing on the scale daily or weekly to monitor yourself. These are all things that sort of stem from diet culture. And I think diet culture has gotten a little bit more sneaky in its advertising and its marketing. So we're sort of all starting to realize that diets don't work. And so as a result, the diet industry has sort of in this really sneaky way morphed into a focus on wellness. And so I was reading, I think it was by Christy Harrison. I was reading something by her and it was sort of about how millennials see diets and especially things like Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers. Millennials sort of view that as our mother's or our grandmother's diet. And so again, diet the diet industry has had to work to sort of rebrand and it's morphed into more of this wellness diet. And so if I had to sort of describe wellness, I would say it's a level of perfection. I would say this is about removing any impure foods. This is an emphasis on clean eating. This is about demonizing foods and sometimes entire food groups. And so again, it's This is just a diet in disguise. It will tell you it's not a diet and it will tell you it's about health, but it's, it's just dressed up you guys. And what I've seen is this morphing into wellness has led to something that I've observed clinically called orthorexia. And so in my field, in the mental health field, we use something called the DSM-5, and this is the Diagnostic Statistics Manual. And this is a book that contains all of the mental health disorders, and it contains the diagnostic criteria for each of them. And so orthorexia is not in the DSM, 
I'll be curious to see if that changes at some stage. But orthorexia is this real obsession with healthy eating and wellness and almost a fear of what will happen health-wise to our bodies if we eat these foods that we perceive as impure. And so I felt like I couldn't have this conversation with you without at least flagging that diet culture is and has morphed and rebranded into this wellness. And so I thought I would give you just a few things about what research tells us about dieting. And so one is 90% of diets fail and often result in even more weight gain. 91% of women, 91, you guys, 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies and resort to dieting to achieve their ideal body shape. But only 5% of women naturally possess the body type often portrayed in the media and often portrayed as beautiful and healthy. 58% of college-aged girls feel pressured to be a certain weight. More than one-third of people who admit to, quote, normal dieting will merge into pathological dieting. And roughly one-fourth of those will suffer from a partial or full-on eating disorder. The research is clear. <laughs> Diets do not work. And this morphing into wellness culture comes with a whole other set of problems too. And I think too, most women that I talk with have their own lived experience of dieting not working. They have this, and I'm curious if this is true for you. They have this lived experience of yo-yo dieting or what I would call weight cycling. This whole cycle of sometimes that excitement of starting a new diet and all these sort of false promises and stories that come with once I do this diet and I reach this level of perfection with my body, what my life will be like. So we sort of have that cycle of jumping on the next diet or wellness thing or healthy lifestyle, however we want to label it. And when we ultimately, quote, fail at this, we do the whole jump back on board on Monday or start again after the holidays or start again with the new year. There's always this story of we have failed and we need to sort of make up for it and jump back on board. And maybe some of you have experienced weight loss with dieting, but again, it, what research shows us is that the major, the overwhelming majority of us will put it back on plus some. And I see the lived experience that women have around this whole cycle that sort of fuels this guilt and this anxiety and this shame. And I think something else worth just flagging with you today is that often the health issues that are blamed on the quote obesity epidemic 
often those health issues actually stem from this yo-yo dieting, from this weight, weight cycling and from weight stigma. So some of the consequences of yo-yo dieting or weight cycling include inflammation, hypertension, insulin resistance, increased stress, hyperlipidemia, disordered eating, further body shame and dissatisfaction. And like I said, in my clinical practice, I've seen the way that the yo-yo dieting feeds this shame and anxiety and often this sort of flattened, depressive type presentation. And so I want to ask you guys, if dieting slash wellness culture were a pill, right? If it were a pill... And it advertised all of these side effects that I'm talking about. And it advertised this 90% failure rate. Would you take it? I wouldn't. And I did for a long time, you guys. And so if you are caught in this diet cycle... I am not here to judge you. We live in a culture where this stuff has been advertised like gospel, like truth. And so I am not here to judge you if you find yourself caught in the grasp of diet culture. And as you're listening, I encourage you not to judge yourself either. But I do want to share with you the most freeing and liberating experience I have had is opting out of this opting out of diet culture and wellness culture. So no longer subscribing to one beauty ideal. I see beauty everywhere. And no longer relying on a calorie tracker or cutting carbs. No longer standing on the scale to sort of see what my mood should be for that day. One of the things that happens as a result of diet and wellness culture is it steals this body wisdom that we're all born with. And so it's this internal wisdom where our bodies really do know what they need. And so diet culture has disconnected us from that body wisdom and disconnected us from our sort of hunger and fullness cues. And instead, we have given that power away to these external dieting things, you know, whether it's a calorie tracking app or a point system, you know, instead of asking yourself, you know, let's say it's dinner time and really asking yourself, like, how hungry am I? What sounds good to me? What's going to satisfy me? Do Am I in the mood for a bigger meal? Am I in the mood for something sweet or salty or bitter? There's this, none of that happens. What we tend to do is seek the external thing. So we might pull out our calorie tracking app and we go, oh, we had a big breakfast and a big lunch. So even though I'm hungry right now, I only have X amount of calories left. 
And then we listen to it. We listen to this app that knows absolutely nothing about us. And just a side note with these calorie tracking apps, these are generic formulas and equations. I've seen diets promoting grown women to be on diets as low as 1,200 or 1,500 calories. That's the calorie intake needed for a toddler. And so we are set up for failure before we even start. And so something I've learned through intuitive eating is that freeing experience of breaking up with diet culture. We are over. You are no longer serving me. I'm out. Okay. And reconnecting with my body in a really respectful way. And like I said, listening to my hunger cues and my fullness cues and thinking about what will leave me feeling satisfied and really viewing food and body as an opportunity to show respect to myself. And what I've noticed is the more I honor my body like this, the more I feel aligned in other parts of my life. And I want to be clear that this is not an overnight process. It's, it's, it's a longer term sort of process and it's fine tuning it. And it's this sort of trial and error and with intuitive eating, you know, we are not bringing this black and white way of thinking to it. It is this flexible sort of eating framework and philosophy that just unfolds. And so not an overnight thing. And one of the things that I'm planning is to have an episode where I summarize the principles of intuitive eating. And I've thought about whether it would be helpful to actually have one episode per principle where we can dig a little bit deeper into each principle. Um, I am happy for you to direct message me on Instagram is the best place. And so I'm on Green Life Psychology. And so if you're interested in having that real sort of one episode per philosophy or per principle, let me know there. The other thing we have planned is I have a really special guest um, who is coming on to talk about the misconceptions of intuitive eating. And I think as helpful it is as it is to learn what intuitive eating is, it's also helpful to learn what it's not and some of the misconceptions that are out there around this. And so I hope today has been helpful. I hope you've learned something. And what I often encourage people that I'm working with is not to move into a judgmental or a critical place, more start with a place of being curious. My motto is often curiosity and compassion, curiosity and compassion. And so just start being curious about how does this diet and wellness culture show up for you in your life? And how does it honestly make you feel? And is it serving you? And so those are the things I want you, like I said, 
just to be curious about. And so for my group, which I remember to tell you guys, which is great news. Um, my group is called the Body and Food Freedom Project. And it is a 16-week online group for women where we focus on shame and self-compassion and embodiment and intuitive eating and body image healing. And so at the moment, I'm delivering my first program. And I, you know, when you have those moments where you just feel completely aligned, like you sort of have this moment that, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like my heart is here and in this. That's how I have felt facilitating these weekly sessions with this lovely group of women currently. And it's inspiring to see them start practicing self-care and self-compassion and to see them be able to shift their shame stories and to see them sort of shift their perspectives of their bodies and slowly heal their relationship with food. It's so rewarding. And so if you're interested in that program, um, there is a link in the Instagram bio at Green Life Psychology. Um, and it should be up on the website by the time you listen to this. So you can also check out the website, greenlifepsychology.com. And one of the things that I've offered is called the free guide to managing the not good enough voice. And so this is, again, you can get it on the website or you can get it at the link in the bio on Instagram. And it's really a starting point for um, really understanding that voice that shows up and says, I'm not good enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not healthy enough. Like I'm not smart enough. It's, it's that voice that shows up that tells us we're not enough. And this voice is very, uh, sort of the underlying issue around this voice is called shame. And so if you want to get that free guide, um, like I said, go to the website or go to Instagram, check it out. And yeah, until the next episode, um, I'll leave you with that, that sort of motto of curiosity and compassion. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening. And I hope today's episode has been helpful. Please like and subscribe to this podcast and take a second to give me a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps get this message out to other women who need it. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Green Life Psychology. You can click in the link in the Instagram bio to learn more about the Body and Food Freedom Project, my 16-week online program where I teach and facilitate sessions live. Have a great week and I'll see you at the next episode.